I like my title. Lori, can we share the title? Star Wars Math, Wine, and the Holy Spirit. Eventually, it will all tie together for you. In the meantime, think back to that fateful day, maybe about 10 years ago. I don't exactly remember. Maybe it was 12 years ago. A horrible, horrible, terrible day in your life. A day you'll never forget. It made you laugh. It may have inspired you. Uh, It made you cringe and it made you hope. And it also introduced you to Jar Jar Binks. Do you remember the day that episode one came out? Yeah, I went on Hamden. I stayed all night in the line so that I could see it. And then I was introduced to Jar Jar Binks, but I was also introduced to an amazing concept that blew my mind. I'll give you a little, a little hint. This is what Qui-Gon Jinn says to Anakin Skywalker. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist. We would have no knowledge of the Force. They continually speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. When you learn to quiet your mind, you'll hear them speaking to you. Anakin also says, they live within me. Is there anything in Christian tradition that sounds similar to the midichlorians? I'll give you a little more hint. Um, Anakin was said to be born of the midichlorians, conceived. To me, it sounds an awful lot like the Holy Spirit. And I kind of think of George Lucas being like, what am I going to make these new movies about? I promised, and now I don't have any idea. Hmm. Oh, the Bible. Oh, Christian tradition shows blah, 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 the Holy Spirit. He was really stretching for that, right? The Holy Spirit and the midichlorians have so much in common, so much. And it makes me think that perhaps common culture is really looking for a bridge from the spiritual otherworldly world to us, mere mortals, mere, um, not even Jedis, just common people and, you know, thugs. And it, and it seems like the culture is getting more and more spiritual. We learned that even though these days less people are going to church and less people are into religion, more and more people are spiritual, more than ever. They want and they long for a connection between the spiritual world and themselves. And that is the Holy Spirit and what I'm going to talk about tonight. When you talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of different words that get used. The comforter, the great comforter, the counselor. Um, and we hear verses like this, John 14, 26. Above, oh, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And will remind you of everything I have said to you. That sounds good. We want something within us that teaches us all things. Something that lives within us that is going to interpret. It's like when you look up Google Translator, when you have like a math or a Spanish quiz and you don't know what it is and you put it in. Like if God gave you something, a thought, you could go, Google Translator, Holy Spirit. Oh, I understand what God wants me to do. That would be awesome. That would be rocking. It would be awesome to know the will of God by way of this Holy Spirit. So we want that. We also want what 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 talks about. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For, for prophecy had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Don't we want to be carried along by something? This life is hard. This life is gnarly. We want to be carried along. And we want the translator... 
We want what Romans 8.16 talks about. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But if there's so many verses about the comfort and the great comforter and the great counselor who we as Christians are going to connect with and all of a sudden understand things with, why has my own personal walk with Jesus not been meshed with comfort? Why has it been wrought with discomfort? Why has there been a massive disconnect where I've argued and argued with God about why I don't feel peace and inner peace? Um, if you're like me, you've come across those verses and you've wanted those things. And if you're like me, you have asked God to give you a Holy Spirit moment, a Holy Spirit experience. And for me, that was, I started asking for those when I was about 11, 12, because I was going to Pentecostal church camp. Anybody grow up with some of that stuff? Yeah, right. So I grew up going to Holy Spirit church camp and I was ready, dude. I was ready for an experience, a Holy Spirit encounter, a mountaintop encounter. And um, if you're like me, you went to these church camps year after year. And maybe you did. If you were like me, you did have an amazing connection at age 12 where something spiritual hit you and the lights went on and the tears flood out and, and it was pouring all through you and within you and you forgave people you had never forgiven and you understood things your little mind could not even fathom in scripture. Um, and you had a Holy Spirit connection, a moment to God. And you felt through the Holy Spirit a connection to God, like there was a lifeline, like the umbilical cord to God. And you thanked him for that gracious gift. And if you're like me, you went home and you started living real life and temptations were hard and the real world was hard and you didn't have the strength to withstand some temptations and you got bummed and you started having the conversation with God about why did the Holy Spirit leave me? Why did it forsake me? Why can't I get it right? Why can't I behave? And if you're like me, you argued with God and you pleaded and begged for a taste of the spirit and you couldn't sing praise songs for a couple of years because it pissed you off and you didn't want to be disingenuine and you wanted to be authentic and you knew that you knew the spirit so well and it made you mad and you told God, I wish I never had that Holy Spirit encounter because now I know what it feels like to miss it. And in a nutshell, that is my rant for tonight. Um... The first seven years or seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years of my Christian walk on a roller coaster with the Holy Spirit, begging and pleading, wrestling like Jacob uh, with God to comfort me, to be the great comforter. Um, so let's pray and I'll tell you more about this. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, that for whatever gracious reason, I am on the other side of this debate with you. I pray that you help me to conform my spiritual thoughts to thoughts that will translate well with words. It's a big disconnect in some ways, God, and I pray that you have grace on me in this area. I pray for every person here, Lord Jesus. Amen. So months ago, when Mike said that all of us on staff could have a rant, um, we're calling them rant and redemptions, but that's not realistic. They're really rants, guys. Um, my rant... It was easy. It was an easy call. I knew what I wanted to talk about right off the bat. I have had for years dozens of friends, dozens of people in my life, dozens of people I've looked up to, men and women in the church that are spiritual, that love the Lord, that seek over the Bible, trade the sacred for the secular. 
And I've watched this process time and time again. And I've wondered, um, sometimes with discouragement, sometimes with encouragement, but I've wondered, what is going on? Uh, Friends that were really some of the most devout followers of Christ. Sometimes they traded the spiritual for alcohol. Sometimes they traded it for a significant other. Sometimes, most of the time, they traded it just to be numb, just to not do this Christian life for a while. Um, Even though they did still consider themselves Christians, and I do believe we're still very much saved. Um, This disconnect, uh, it did. It discouraged me. And I would hear people at church say, I don't want to participate. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to do it. Why would I want to go to scum to hear about something I can't do? To hear week and week about um, things I can't be, something I can't pull off. I'm tired of BSing it. Um, I don't want to fake it, so I'd rather just not go. I've heard that a lot. And it, and it does hurt me, but at the same time, I want to be entwined in this life with my people that I love, adore. And to some degree, I almost see it as a prerequisite for being a parent. I mean... Got to get it right this time because this is what may happen with my own children. I I feel it that strongly. Um, How do we love and stay connected to people when they're going through this? Um, But I also hear people say that they are searching, just not in here. They're still searching. This is an authentic search. It just is clenched and not wanting to hear the sermons at the time. And they do not feel comforted. Sermons aren't making them feel comforted. Where's the great comforter for these men and women? And part of my rant is an apology. As a pastor here at SCUM and as a sermonator, part of our job is to unpack the scriptures in a way that makes them relevant and life-giving and encouraging and real for all of you and for ourselves. And we have disserviced the Holy Spirit by not talking enough about it by not recognizing and giving it the credit that it deserves in our walks. Um, Part of the disconnect is the way we have explained and failed to explain the Holy Spirit so that we need to start some new conversations. So let's start with the basics on the Holy Spirit. This is going to have to be a two-part sermon I discovered this morning because I can do part of it, but I have to talk to Mike about doing the next part because it gets long. But I don't want to rush it and make it too small. So I promise in November or December I can finish it up. But let's start with the basics on the Holy Spirit. He is a he, not an it. We always say it, the Holy Spirit, it. Have you had a connection with it? I want it. He has a personality. The Holy Spirit has attributes, a mind, thoughts, emotions. He has insight. He knows things. I have verses with all these, but I'm not going to read them all. But he performs miracles. He is to be obeyed, resisted, grieved, blasphemed, insulted, He relates to the apostles. And let's also talk about gender. He is not necessarily a he. He has attributes that are she. He's a spirit. He's neither he nor she. He's a spirit. But God has chosen to reveal himself and refer to himself as a he in metaphor and in words. So we refer to the spirit as a he. Let's not get tripped up about it, but I'm going to call the Holy Spirit a he. Um, Theologically speaking, Since the Holy Spirit is God, we can make statements about him from general statements about God. God is spirit as opposed to physical or material. God is invisible and spirit. Um, Regardless of how we view the Holy Spirit, 
there are a lot of mysteries and things we don't know about him, which is why language makes it so difficult to talk about him. I used to think I interacted with the Holy Spirit, like I interact with um, something you use, almost like a machine or a tool. But I think it's so much more helpful to think of it as engaging the Holy Spirit. When I use the word interaction, when I think of him as a tool or a machine, I think I usually would use the Holy Spirit when I need him. Have you ever heard yourself say something like, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me discern if I should take this job, task, or I need you to know where we should move, or I need to know if um, I should have that conversation tonight with that person. It's it's like an in-the-moment experience. We need the Holy Spirit now, as if... um, We're going to tap into something. How many people here are married? So when you're married, a lot of you, and I'm married, I've been married eight years. A lot of us, my rant with Stephen, and like I said, I have been married eight years, is I want to do things with Stephen. I want to do things with him. I want to, if we're brushing teeth, I want to brush teeth together. I want to watch TV together. I want to pray together. I want to study together. I want to do nothing together, but do it together. I want to complain together. I want to drive together. You know, whatever it is, I want to do it together. And I also, my second complaint is not only do I want to do things together, I want to do things proactively. I want him to plan. I want him to know in advance what we're going to do. I want him not to just be reactive. This is what we should do because, oh, no, we're in this situation. I want him to plan ahead. That's what I want from him. How much more, I started thinking, does the Holy Spirit want that from me? Holy Spirit wants to brush his teeth with me and watch TV with me and hang out with me and drive with me and listen to music with me and be with me and rant with me and bitch and moan with me, all these things with me. And he wants me to be proactive. He wants me to engage him Activate, if you will. For those of you magic people here, like manna, just a little tappage. Um, tap. Engage the Holy Spirit so that you can be ready to do whatever you're going to do. Not just for little moments of time, but for all the time. Be, uh, be available, be aware, be ready. Um, and the Holy Spirit is also multifaceted. He's more than just a person. He has a personhood, but he's more than. Like we understand it's one thing to know who Jesus is. It's quite another to be Christ-like. Same with the Holy Spirit. You can know a lot about the Holy Spirit and not know the Holy Spirit. When I think back to church camp and my experience um, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, it felt very much like a temporary thing, like an ex- like a experience. But But could being filled with the Holy Spirit be a characteristic rather than an experience? What would it look like if being filled with the Holy Spirit was a characteristic and not just an experience? And that's what the last 10 years of my life have been like, cultivating a character filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, It's not a one-time fix. It's not something that can get me through a difficult time, even though sometimes I still go back to that. Sometimes I think we think of the Holy Spirit like a nice, strong drink at the end of the day. Kicking one back. The Bible has something to say about this as well. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk on wine, rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. I found that for myself, the best way to think about this little verse is math, which is not me. I'm so not math, but it helps visually. 
So I came up with a little symbol, wine less than the Holy Spirit. That seems like that verse. Do not drink wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That seems right. Wine is less than the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is greater than wine. Move on. Next verse. No. <laughs> um, they're not equal. One is better. When I think of alcohol and drunkenness in particular, I experience a lot of emotion when it comes to alcohol. And some of us here tonight also do. Some of you also do. Because our childhoods have had a lot of sad stories, sad memories, strange memories, unsafe memories involving alcohol. And maybe we chose alcohol at a young age to relax. And when we think of alcohol and drunkenness in particular, uh, we're looking for three things usually, three or four things, when we drink to excess. We're looking for a better time than we think we're going to have. We're looking for more courage than we think we have. We're looking for more strength than we think we have. And sometimes we're just looking to be numb, no feeling. And that's what I think a lot of people get drunk for. We hear a lot of people say, I need a drink. If I'm going to do that, I need a drink. Or, oh, man, I already did that. I need five drinks. Or, um, this party's fun, but it'd be more fun if we all were a little tipsy. Or I could totally handle that after a couple of shots. We think we're going to get great, great joy, strength, and courage with a little bit of alcohol. And maybe we believe this because maybe it's true. It's true because when you drink a little, your inhibitions go down. And when your inhibitions go down, your actions go up, your crazy actions. Um, and when your crazy actions go up, you think you're having more fun, even though it may be that you're stuffing down your real character in order to put on another character. Or, even worse, maybe you're showing your real character when you have a little too much to drink. Um, we give a lot of grace in our society for people who are drunk. You hear people say, he's not really like that, he's just drunk. She doesn't usually act like that. Like, please, how embarrassing. We apologize, they're drunk. And we say that because they're under the influence. It's not their fault. They normally would not act like that. They have wonderful, beautiful inhibitions created inside their body that makes them not act like that. But when they're over, 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 over filled, they're fully, their speech, their words, their talk, their everything, their character is influenced by alcohol. Oh, that's what Paul is saying. He wants us to be drunk on the Holy Spirit, under the influence, talking, walking, behaving, believing under the Holy Spirit. That's what he means. He doesn't mean wine is less than alcohol. He means being drunk. Be drunk off your butt with the Holy Spirit. Be so drunk that you can't control the way you behave under the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right? Awesome. Do <laughs> um, not be drunk with wine. And under this header, we put, be under the influence. Let your character be changed by its influence. What would that be like? To be fully under the control of the Holy Spirit. I often think of my spiritual walk in different metaphors. One of the metaphors that I have is a house. I think of my house as a lot of different rooms. And one of the reasons that I don't want the Holy Spirit to dwell in me is because he wants to dwell in me. He doesn't want to visit. 
He wants full reign. He wants full access into every room. And some have been locked for a long time. He wants to indwell in me. And so in order for me to let the Holy Spirit live there, it's going to be painful and awkward and uncomfortable for him to see. And I get some of those Wayne and Garth kind of moments, like, I'm not worthy. I don't want you in there. But I have to let him in. The second metaphor I use for my life, um, I have a mentor. Her name's Amy Croft. And she's a scary mentor because she calls it like it is. And she doesn't let me ever reside and live where I am because the spiritual walk is about growth, becoming Christ-like, becoming like Jesus. She doesn't want me to be stagnant. So another metaphor I use for my spiritual walk is stairs. And I can see the, the stair I'm on. And I can see the stair that God wants me to be on. And I have no concept of how to get from here to there. And that's very much the Holy Spirit's work. It is not my job to change myself. I will fail. I cannot. I do not have the strength. I don't even know how. But constantly by being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we begin to be changed without even noticing. And before I know it, I'm on the next step and I'm looking down and I'm like, oh, that wasn't so hard. And then I kind of look up and I'm like, oh, next step. Um, but the house is good. The, I mean, the stair thing is good because it reminds me that there is growth. Um, the last metaphor that I think of for my spiritual walk, it's kind of like a tally sheet. How many people have grown up in a tradition where when you pray at night, you ask God to forgive your sins? You ask that, and sometimes you list them by sin, by sin, by sin. And I started this when I was 12. When I was 12, I became a Christian, and I started a very long prayer because I didn't want to go to hell and I didn't want to get it wrong. So it started with, on my honor, I will try to serve God in my country and live by the Girl Scout law. Started with that. And then it did the Lord's Prayer, because catechism. And then it did some Pentecostal, Jesus loves the little children, red and yellow, black and white and brown. And, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, a bunch of different things like that I would do every night, ritualistically for about a year. Because I was afraid I was afraid. I was afraid that if I didn't do all those prayers, I'd screw it up. And then after I did all the right things, all the right prayers, I could say, forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for this. And I started to believe around age 18, 19, I started to notice that I had this theology that believed that if you did a bad thing, all you had to do was a really equal good thing and they canceled each other out. I really believe that. And so I was super involved in my church. I was involved in youth group. And I thought, man, I screwed up. I got to do something good. And it didn't matter if there were things alone by myself, but I had to cancel them out. And the problem with that was I did not accept the grace that the Holy Spirit was giving me through Jesus. It took, I probably was 19 before I had the epiphany that I was wholly sinful and therefore wholly forgiven. And when I realized I didn't have to ask forgiveness for every little thing that I did, I realized I couldn't get saved by every little thing that I did. It was very freeing, very freeing to be under the grace of Jesus and move and walk and feel. And I would still fall down. You know all those metaphors for the race? I'd still fall down, and I still do fall down, but I get up a lot quicker because there's no point in having a big demonstrative repentance if you're already forgiven. Although you should repent. We don't all have the same path. 
I do not know what your relationship with the Holy Spirit is like. I do not know where you are now. I do not know where you're going to be tonight, tomorrow. I do not know how you commingle and commune and relate and engage with the Holy Spirit. I do not know what your theology has taught you about the Holy Spirit. But I do know that he wants to dwell within you. He wants to abide in you, and he wants you to abide in him. Like he is a vine, and you get to bear fruit. You don't create it. You get to bear it for him. And that is one of the ways we'll know. The question is, how will we know when we're there? How will we know when we're gelling right with the Holy Spirit? There's going to be fruit. And fruit looks different for each person here because each person here has a different gifting and skill set and passion. But you're going to know when that fruit is there to bear. There's also other signs that you will know when the Holy Spirit is working in your life. You will have peace. Think for a moment. Do you have peace in your life right now? Is there more peace or less peace than there was a year ago? Would you call yourself a man or woman of peace? Is there more drama than there is peace? Do you have the ability to read your conscience well? The Bible says that when we get get given over to our sin, we cannot tell what our conscience is saying. Do you have those little radars? Do you have little idiot lights? That's one way to know if you're gelling with the Holy Spirit. If you know, most people know. We know. We're like, ugh. But if you lost your ability to know, what about a rich understanding of the word of God and not being afraid to read it and look into it because you know it's going to cause you to have to change or not say no to things God wants to do in your life that are powerful, that are amazing, that are beautiful, that are mind-boggling the gorgeous stuff of life, this one life, the gorgeous stuff he has for you without your self-sabotage, without you being able to say, no, God, not me. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Why would you choose me? Are you comfortable with letting him have that access? Are you comfortable with saying yes to his will for your life that is much greater than your will for your life? And also wisdom. Is there wisdom in your life? Do you feel that you can discern things? Do you feel that you understand things? Do you feel that you can have spiritual conversations and find enjoyment in it? Process things with the Lord, with Jesus. When the Holy Spirit's working in your life, we're always growing in this area. We're never there. We're not going to be a there. There's not a there. There's not a graduation party. We're not there. But there's always growth. Every year, we should get a little more Christ-like. Um... So how do we get there? How do we do this? How do we, how do we do this? This reminds me of the movies where you see the one person and he's on this side of the cliff and there's the other person that has to jump the big cliff and one has their hand out and one's saying, I can't do it, man. I can't do it. I can't do it, man. And he's got to jump. And sometimes in your life, you're going to be the person holding their hand out. You're holding your hand out, right? If you're here in church, you, I guarantee you, each person here is holding, is a symbol of someone holding their hand out for someone who is not ready to leap. Each of you has those people in your life who aren't ready to leap. And each of you are also looking and also needing people to help pull you along as you leap. And you're saying, I can't do it. And you have those people, men and women in your life who are saying, you can do it. You can do it. Let's study this. Let's learn this. Let's pray. Let's get there. But it's scary. It's gnarly to jump. I'm telling you, I know that. I do know. And what we do when we get there, all we do is abide 
You just do day-to-day life, let yourself be loved and abide. It's really all we can do. It's not trying to earn anything. It's not trying to do anything for God's wisdom. You, if you're here at church, hear this and know this, you are not failing. There's nothing to fail at. You're not a screw-up. There's nothing to own up to. No one's better or worse. And I'm going to work really hard on part two. All right, so let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for the richness of your scripture. God, these are important scriptures and subjects to cover, Father. I pray for every person, and myself included, Lord, that you would give us a richer understanding of your Holy Spirit in a way that only your Holy Spirit can teach us and help scum of the earth as a church to speak accurately when we teach about the Holy Spirit and also when we have other sermons that compel people to change. Remind us that we shouldn't tell people that they can do it on their own without you, Jesus. Amen.